0: A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now. Use the code EPL25 Again, LibertyShield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, good, boys and girls. Two-footed podcast on Wednesday, the 29th of March. Hope you all had a nice day yesterday. I am back to ruin today for you. Well, not really, but you know how I am. Uh Right, we had international football the last couple of days, so to catch up on that. On Monday, Serbia beat Montenegro 2-0. Dusan Vlahovic with both goals. Three goals for him over the two games. For Serbia, nice to see him back scoring. Hopefully now he translates that form back to his club side, Juventus, because he has been struggling in the last couple of months there. Uh, Netherlands three, Gibraltar 0. nil. Memphis to pie open the scoring on twenty-three minutes. Two goals for Nathan Aki on fifteen eighty-two. Liam Walker sent off for Gibraltar on fifty-one. Netherlands had 52 shots in this game. 52 shots! 12 on target. So that's poor to begin with. Uh, 87% of the ball. Absolutely ridiculous. This does bring into question the merits of international football, but Gibraltar have the right to try and qualify. So, you know, let them at it. This game was... Ridiculously one-sided, but I'm not one of these people that thinks that these countries shouldn't be allowed to take part in these competitions. I've seen Gary Lineker and others say it in the past. Just because Gibraltar aren't as strong as other countries doesn't mean they don't have the right to compete and doesn't mean that those players don't have the right to represent their nation. So let them at it. Let them all at it. Uh, still, Netherlands, work on finishing. Uh, it's going to be important in other games. Uh, Poland won, Albania nil. Swiderski with the only goal there. Austria two, Estonia one. Uh, Sapinan had put Estonia one up, but Kynes and Grigoric. Scored two for Austria to give them the win. Uh, Sweden five, Azerbaijan nil. Uh, Emil Forsberg, Mustafa, Mustafa Zada, Mustafa Zada with an known goal. Uh, Victor Giorgarez of Coventry scored, Jesper Carlsen and Anthony Alanga of Manchester United all scored. Dominant win for Sweden. Moldova nil, Czech Republic nil. Hungary 3, Bulgaria nil. Uh, Vexi with the opener, Dominic Zabozlai with one of the best free kicks you'll ever see. Genuinely, one of the best free kicks you'll ever see. Made it 2. Martin Adam uh, made it 3 and wrapped that one up. Ireland nil. France 1, a Benji Pavard goal. Ireland did well. They did well. They defended well. They limited France to half chances. Unfortunately, Benjamin Pavard managed to pull something out of the bag. Ireland nearly snatched a draw, but Mike Mannion made one of the best saves I've ever seen. It was absolutely sensational from a Nathan Collins header. Ireland were piling on the pressure late on. Mannion made a good save, went out for another corner. Cross in, Collins met it brilliantly. It's all the way in and somehow he clawed it out. I, I still don't know how I still don't know how he saved it. I thought we deserved a draw. I really did. But you can take a bit of pride in that defeat because we gave them a far tougher game than the Netherlands did. Uh Georgia won, Norway won, Sorloth opened the scoring for Norway. Mukatadza with the uh, equalizer for Georgia. La- uh, Wales won, Latvia nil. Keeper Moore with the only goal in that one. Romania two, Belarus one. Stancho and Burka with the goals for Romania. Morozov with a late consolation for Belarus. Switzerland three, Israel nil. Vargas, Amduni and Vidmer uh, with the goals for the Swiss. Good win for them. Kosovo 1, Andorra 1. Zagrova put Kosovo 1 up. Rosas equalised two minutes later to give Andorra Andorra a really good point. Uh, Turkey nil, Croatia 2. Kovacic with both goals for the Croatians. And then one of the biggest shocks in recent international uh, qualifying games. Scotland 2, Spain nil. Now, this is obviously far from um, a great Spanish team, but there's still good players in that team. And yet the Scots were able to come out on top. Uh, Much crying after the game from some of the Spaniards. Uh, Rodri, most notably, having himself a big old cry, saying that Scotland play crap football. That may be the case, son, but they beat you 2-0, and uh, you didn't have a particularly good game. You had lots of the ball and did nothing with it. 75% of the possession, but yet Scotland had more shots. Both sides had three shots on target. So Scotland used the ball well when they had it, and Spain did absolutely nothing when they had it. So the groups, in Group A, Scotland are top with six points. Really, really good start. Then it's Spain on three. Georgia on one point from one game played. Cyprus, no points from one game played. uh, Norway have one point from two games played. So they're fourth. Cyprus are bottom. So Scotland, Spain, Georgia, Norway and Cyprus. In Group B, France are top six points from two games. Then Greece with three points from their only game so far. The Netherlands... Three points from two games. Ireland have no points from their only game. And Gibraltar, no points from two games played. Beaten 3-0 by both the Netherlands and Greece. Um, Moving on to Group C. England are top with six points. Then it's Italy with three. North Macedonia have three, but they've only played once. Ukraine have no points. They've played once. Malta have... No points. They've played twice. In Group D, it is Croatia top. Four points from two games. Then Wales, also four points from two games. Turkey have three points from two games. Armenia and Latvia have no points, but they've only played once. Uh, Czech Republic, top Group E with four points from two games. Then it's Poland on three points. Moldova on two points. They've all played two games. Faroe Islands have one point from their only game played. And Albania have no points from their only game played. In Group F, it's Austria top with six points from two games. Then Belgium, three points from their only game. Sweden have three points from two games played. Estonia, no points, one game played. Azerbaijan, no points, two games played. Uh, In Group G, Serbia are top, six points from their two games. Hungary have three points. They've only played once. Montenegro, three points. They've played twice. Lithuania no points. They've played once. Um, Bulgaria, t- uh, no points. They've played twice. The, as I said before, the fall off of Bulgarian football has been quite stunning, really. Um, on to Group H. Slovenia top with six points from two games. The Danes are second- Three points from two games. They'll be disappointed having lost to Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan to third with three points from their two games. That's Finland with three points from two games. Northern Ireland, three points from two games. And San Marino, no points from their two games. But respectable scorelines in both games. So they, they can have a bit of pride in that. Uh, Switzerland have six points from their two wins. Romania, six points from two wins. Kosovo, two points. Andorra, one point. Israel, one point. And Belarus, no points. They've all played two games in that group. And then finally, Group J, uh, Portugal, six points from two, wi- two games against the two worst teams in the group. Um, Slovakia, four points from two games. Bosnia and Herzegovina, three points from two games. Iceland, three points from two games. Luxembourg and have one point from two games, and Liechtenstein have no points uh, from their recent two games. Um, we did have obviously some friendlies as well, and Argentina beat Caraco seven nil. Lionel Messi scored a hat trick. Nicolas Gonzalez scored. Enzo Fernandez scored. Roberto, uh, sorry, Angel, Angel de Maria scored and Gonzalo Montiel scored. Argentina were 5-0 up on 37 minutes. They scored five goals in 17 minutes. Messi, Gonzalez, Messi, en- Enzo, and then Messi again. That was game over after that. It was basically just bullying, really. There was, there was nothing else going on other than bullying. Uh, Chile beat Paraguay 3-2 in a friendly match. Um, Ecuador came from behind to beat Australia 2-1 Purvis Estupanen scored the, the equaliser and William Pacho who's a really talented centre-back he scored the winner he's just signed for Eintracht Frankfurt uh, Japan won Colombia 2 uh, Matoma opened the scoring for Japan uh, Duran of Villa equalised and Rafael Santos Borre scored the winner South Korea won. Uruguay 2. Sebastian Quates put Uruguay 1-0 up. Um, Huang one of the Huangs equalised and then Vecino scored to give Uruguay the win. Uh, what else do we have here? Germany lost 3-2 to Belgium in a friendly. Uh, Yannick Carrasco and Romelu Lukaku had put the Belgians 2-0 up in nine minutes. Nicholas Fulkrog scored a penalty on 44 to get the Germans back in. De Bruyne scored on 78 to make it safe, but Serge Gnabry scored on 87. And it looked like the Germans might scrape a draw, but it wasn't to be. But it is only a friendly, so it isn't really all that important to anybody. And that is about all I have uh, in terms of friendlies that would matter to most listeners. Uh, Iran beat Kenya. United Arab Emirates beat Thailand. Morocco and Peru drew nil nil, And both both teams had a player sent off. Uh, Sophie and Bufal and Carlos Zambrano sent off there. Nepal drew a Bhutan. Malaysia beat Hong Kong 2-0. Behran beat Syria 1-0. Kuwait beat Tajikistan 2-1. Jordan beat the Philippines 4-0. India beat Kyrgyzstan 2-0. And Armenia and Cyprus drew 2-2. Yeah, Indonesia, Burundi, 2-2 Uzbekistan, Venezuela, 1-1 and that's pretty much what we have um, and that is the last of the international football for quite a while, thankfully enough, uh, the season will now finish without any more no, there's one more, is there one more international break? let me see when are the next games? No, June. June. Next international break is June. Um, and it's not a break, obviously, because the season will be over. But, yeah, match day 3 we'll see. Finland, Slovenia, Malta, England, Latvia, Turkey, Macedonia, North Macedonia, Ukraine, Kosovo, Romania, Greece against Ireland. Belarus against Israel, Wales against Armenia, Denmark, Northern Ireland, Andorra, Switzerland, Gibraltar, France, San Marino, Kazakhstan, Luxembourg, Liechtenstein, Lithuania, Bulgaria, Montenegro, Hungary, Azerbaijan, Estonia, Norway, Scotland, Iceland, Slovakia, Faroe Islands, the Czech Republic, Cyprus against Georgia, Belgium, Austria, Albania, Moldova, and Portugal against Bosnia-Herzegovina. So there'll be those games on the 16th and 17th, and then there's another round on the 19th and 20th. Uh, I won't list them all because you're probably bored of listening. Um, But yeah, so we're underway in our Euro 2024 qualifiers, which is nice and also nice. We're just going to go to a break now. And when we come back, we're going to go through loads of news and there's gossip. And that's going to be all for today because there's not a whole lot going on. Uh, We do have one kind of major item to discuss, but that's about it. So I'll see you in a sec. Right. Welcome back. So. Just days after they dismissed Antonio Conte, Spurs will also most likely have to search for a new sporting director because Fabio Paratici has had his 30-month ban for his involvement in Juventus' practice of false accounting extended to a worldwide ban. FIFA have decided that Paratici is not fit to work in football for the next 30 months. And that will mean that Spurs will have to move on from him. Now, he has appealed the decision. However, I think it's unlikely that even if it's reduced, I think it's unlikely that the ban gets overturned. He was clearly part of the problem at Juventus as the managing director of the club. I don't think this is bad news for Spurs because I don't think he's particularly good at his job. I think he did a dreadful job at Juventus. I think you just need to look at the difference in Juve under Beppe Marata and under Paratici. His decision to give Cristiano Ronaldo a ludicrous contract, having paid £100 million for then 33-year-old, ranks as one of the dumber things anybody has done in recent years. And that was the start of Juve's financial problems. Obviously, COVID came along and was an issue as well, but Juve were well on track to financial ruin before that. And much of it is his problem. And the reason Juve, having dominated Syria for so long and been so far clear of everybody else when Maratta left, fell back to the pack, was the poor decisions that this man made. Uh, both in terms of managerial appointments and in terms of transfers. So I don't think it's a bad thing for Spurs to be rid of him. If I was Spurs, I would be telling him to go away anyway. You don't want the stench of what he did in Serie A on your club anyway. They'll need to find a replacement. There are a multitude of options that they could look at. Paul Mitchell is somebody who becomes available this summer, leaving Monaco. He's worked for Spurs before, so he has a good understanding of the club. It's possible you could look to bring Mitchell and Pochettino back as a duo because they've worked together both at Southampton and at Spurs. It was Poch who brought Mitchell to Spurs, so they've got a good relationship. Um, That's definitely something they could look at. I've said before, I think they should look at Nagelsmann as manager. I think he should look at that job. Mitchell could definitely work with him. The other options that they could chase, um, Tim Stuyth, then, who's leaving Bayer Leverkusen. Very, very good talent spotter. Him and Nagelsmann could be interesting. He would work well, I think, with you know someone like Ruben Amarum as well. He's very, very good at spotting centre-backs, which Amorim will very much appreciate. Um, Could they potentially look to get... This is really... It's more ambitious than than it sounds, because this guy works for Red Bull Salzburg, and you would think that Spurs should just be able to go and pluck Red Bull Salzburg's director of football. But Christoph Freund is very locked in there and it will take a special offer and a special project for him to walk away. He turned down Chelsea when they threw enormous bags of money at him back in September. So it will take a very special pitch to convince him that this is the job for him. But if you could get him and Nagelsmann or Amram. That would really set you up well for the long haul. He's, when it comes to talent spotting, he might be the best around. You just need to look at his his track record and what he's done uh, within the Red Bull network and the players he's brought to Red Bull Salzburg. It's, It's so impressive. He's been there since 2015 as the sporting director. Prior to that, he was the sports coordinator for three years. So not as much involved. But he was also working as a scout for them at the time. But If you look at some of the players they've had through there in that time, like the likes of Upa Meccano, he, he is great at what he does. Let's see if we can actually get Red Bull Salzburg. Let's see. Right. So from when he became sporting director. Stefan Leiner brought in for little or nothing. He's one of the better right backs in the Bundesliga now. david Meccano. Obviously very, very good. Uh Seigel. Currently on loan at Olympiakos from Hoffenheim. He was a, a really, really good holding midfielder for them. Uh, Bernardo was actually an impressive get, but they got him through the Red Bull network. Uh, Hanni Mukter, they had him on loan there for a time. He was quite, quite exciting at that point. Uh, the following season... They had Andre Wisdom in on loan, I remember that. Uh, Samuel Tepe, who's a decent player. They brought him in for little or nothing. Uh, Gulbranson, who's quite good, plays for Demospor. Moved to seventeen, eighteen. This is where he really starts to ramp things up. Mohamed Kamara, unbelievably good get. Enoch Mwepu. Very very good midfielder who unfortunately had to retire due to that heart condition. Prongerich, quality quality defender, and Patson Daka. That's a really good summers recruitment for Red Bull Salzburg. Eighteen nineteen. Philippe Cohn, Erling Haaland, Usman Diakata. Antoine Bernetti, pretty good. 1920, Benjamin Sesko, Moritz Kiergården, he's really good. Max Volber, now at Leeds. Noah Okafor, Rasmus Christensen, also at Leeds. He's really found his groove at this point. Omar Saleh, really good defender. Brendan Aronson 2021 Capaldo good midfielder Pietkowski really good midfielder Brought Bernardo back from Brighton, having made a significant profit on the deal. Uh, Rocco Simic is talented. Ignace van der Prent, the young Belgian, he's talented. Umar Diakate, he's really, really promising. And then this season... Oh, it's not... Oh, here we go. Uh, Fernando from Shakhtar, really good player. Gorna Duarte, really good player. Pavlovich, monster. Kareem Kanate looks really promising, and Oscar Gluck. You also look at how well he's sold and the profits he's made. Them, he is he is brilliant at what he does. If they get him and Nagelsmann or Amorim, I think that would completely set Spurs up. They're both young. They're both. Still getting better as they as they go. Uh, Amram is, I mean, really scratching the surface of what he's going to be able to do as a manager. Um, I think Parakichi being removed from the picture is is the best outcome for Spurs. He just isn't very good. Uh, I mentioned Messi scoring his hat trick. It brings him over the one hundred goal mark for Argentina. It's a stunning, stunning achievement. I mean, there's only two other players that have done it. Uh, It's 102 goals for Lionel Messi now for Argentina in 174 caps, and the 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 list of of accomplishments and achievements that this guy has continues to blow my mind every time. Every time I look at what he's done in the game, it's just it gets more and more impressive. Like, everybody knows what did at Barcelona. Everybody knows about the league titles, all 10 of them. The Copa del Reyes, seven of them. The Spanish Super Cups, seven of them. Four Champions Leagues, three Super Cups, three World Club Cups. Won the league with PSG last year. But with Argentina, I mean, he won the under-20s World Youth Championship, won an Olympic gold medal at under-23 level, and at senior level, won the Cup America, three-time runner-up, one-time third place, won the World Cup, obviously, and was also a runner-up. And they won that Cup of Champions against Italy, which, you know, it's basically like the Super Cup, so it's it's nice to have seven Ballon d'Ors, FIFA World Player of the Year, FIFA Best Men's Player of the Year twice, six-time European Golden Shoe winner, two-time Golden Ball winner at the World Cup, one-time Silver Boot winner at the World Cup. It just goes on and on. Like, this is the best career anyone's ever had by a country mile and nobody's it's unlikely we ever see anybody top what Lionel Messi has done in his career to be the best goal scorer of your generation and maybe ever and also be the best creator of your generation. is just stupid. Like it is just stupid that he's both. And I've always said, like, there's no argument made that Cristiano is the best player ever because Messi is a better player. And that's just a simple fact of it. Messi is a better player than Cristiano Ronaldo is. But Cristiano's case was his goal scoring. But I just don't think he, he stands up to Messi in terms of goals either. At senior level, Messi has 706 goals in 854 club games. And Cristiano has 710 goals in 959 games. So 100 games more... 100 games more for, what are we looking at? Actually, am I right? Yeah, I am right. 100 games more for like six goals more. Or four goals more. Four goals more. And bear in mind, nine of Cristiano's goals, his most recent nine goals at club level, have come in the Saudi Premier League. So not, not like a top 15 league in world football. At international level, Cristiano has the, the better record, 122 goals in 198 games, as opposed to Messi's 102 in 174. But overall, there's just no question that Messi has a better goal-scoring record. Goals per game, it's messy, and it's messy by a bit of a distance. And in all likelihood, um, he will grow that gap because he's going to carry on playing for another couple of years. And Cristiano is basically retired at club level because nobody is looking at the Saudi league and thinking, oh, that's really impressive. Nobody's looking at it like that. He'll carry on stat padding against crap teams at international level but that's that's just what he's going to be from now on, is a stat pattern. That's the only reason he's sticking around. He probably... 832 senior goals. Let me just... Let me just get a calculator for a quick sec. He obviously wants the 200 caps. That's important to him. One twenty two plus seven ten, right? Eight hundred and thirty two goals. Uh, Game wise, he's at uh, nine five nine at club level. He's going to get to a thousand club games as well. In all likelihood, um, playing in. In Saudi, and one ninety eight caps. So he's played eleven 1, hundred and fifty seven games. Like that's that that longevity is incredible. Like it absolutely is incredible. But it's it just doesn't put him above Messi. It just doesn't, and it can't because. Leo matches him. Leo outdoes him in terms of goals per game. Outdoes him in terms of goals per game. And the creative numbers are, the disparity is enormous. <sighs> Messi is just, he's, he's from another planet. He genuinely is an alien. Now, Cristiano may well be as well because he's a physical freak. But Messi is just, he's so, so special. Uh, Anyway, let's move on. Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger have been inducted into the Premier League Hall of Fame. They probably should have been the first two in, really. They're the two best managers of the Premier League era. I know Guardiola has more titles than Wenger. I know Mourinho will make a case that it's him. It's not. It's Ferguson and it's Wenger. Ferguson is undeniable. 13 league titles, during his spell at United is absolutely outrageous. Wenger won three league titles, but Wenger firstly led Arsenal to an unbeaten season. Wenger changed English football more than any other manager or any other person. The way he implemented nutrition, training schedules, the way he changed how teams recruited players, his emphasis on data... Arsene Wenger did more for English football than anybody else. He modernised English football by himself. They join David Beckham, Dennis Bergkamp, Eric Cantona, Thierry Henry, Roy Keane, Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard, Alan Shearer, Sergio Aguero, Didier Drogba, Vincent Kompany, Wayne Rooney, Peter Schmeichel, Paul Scholes, Patrick Vieira and Ian Wright in the Hall of Fame. There'll obviously be more players going in this year as well. Um, There's no real case to be made against any of the players who are in. I think they all fully deserve to be in. Um Other managers who'll find their way in, I think Kenny Douglas will find his way in uh, winning a title at Blackburn. I, th- I think that's so impressive. I don't think he's a Hall of Fame caliber manager, but Ranieri did win a title with Leicester. That probably will get him in. Mourinho obviously will get in. Conte will get in, I think. I think Klopp will get in. And Pep obviously will, will be in. Um, there's probably a couple of others that deserve a look. But, you know, the ones who win league titles really should lead the way. players-wise, there's loads of players that need to go in. Loads. And the problem with the way they're doing this is they they left it too long to start this, and it, it really needs kind of 10 to 15 players going in every year now to catch up. And then you can kind of cut it back to like two or three per year. I think that would make it more special if there's only a couple. I think it allows those players uh, more of a a moment. I'd like to see that there be a full on proper ceremony and speeches and stuff the way they do with the NBA and and different things. But um, look, it's the it's new and it's good. It's deserved and it, it's absolutely right that these two go in together. Because they define an era in the Premier League. They define what I believe to be the best era of the Premier League. They define the greatest rivalry in the history of the Premier League. And you can argue about Man City versus Liverpool. But that was never really a rivalry. There wasn't a dislike between them. It was a rivalry in a sporting sense. But this, this was different. This was personal. These two didn't like each other. They came to respect and like each other later... But the players hated each other. The fans hated each other. These games were box office. These games were must-see TV. No matter who you supported, you were watching these games. And if you got a bonus United versus Arsenal game in the Cup, it was just brilliant. Because back then, the Champions League wasn't as diluted as it is now. So there was less chance of them meeting in the Champions League. But those teams. Ferguson obviously dominated the early years of the Premier League. Then Wenger came along and changed things. Doug leash had taken one title off Ferguson, but other than that, he kind of flat, flat-track bullied his way through the league. But Wenger came in and Ferguson's mind games didn't work with Wenger. For a multitude of reasons, Wenger was far too intelligent to fall for them. Now, he fell for Mourinho's because Mourinho made things personal. The one thing you'd say about Ferguson is he didn't make it personal. His mind games were around the game. And he didn't bring people's personalities or personal lives into it. He just focused on the football. Then Wenger had that first great Arsenal team with that older back four. Vieira and Petit in central midfield. Overmars on the left. Bergkamp and Anelka up front. It was a wonderful team. They were great to watch. Then Ferguson roars back. Wins the treble. Wins another couple of titles. And then Wenger's invincible team appears. And what an unbelievable talent that was. To build that team. To find balance the way he found balance. That team was was near perfect. As as near to perfect as we've ever seen. The goalkeeper, I would say, was the weak link in that team. Jens Lehmann. I would say he was a level below everybody else. But Bergkamp and Henri up front, spectacular. Vieira and Gilberto Silva as a double pivot. Gilberto Silva may be the best holding midfielder the Premier League has seen. Vieira with that box-to-box style, that ability to just go and wreck games wherever and whenever he wanted. Lumberg as a goal scorer off the right, who wasn't particularly strong on the ball, decent dribbler, but his real ability and talent was his timing of runs and his ability to ghost into the box. Perez as the primary playmaker on the left, cutting in field, combining with Burkamp and Henry, Henry having that Incredible ability to drift wide and just blow past people with his pace. And, of course, Ashley Cole as that overlapping threat and also a lockdown defender behind them was just special. Saul Campbell, for my money, one of the best centre-backs, certainly the best English centre-back the Premier League has seen just ahead of Tony Adams. Cole O'Toole could be a bit hit and miss, but his explosiveness, his aggression, the front-footed nature of his defending – and his willingness and ability to cover a cross at right back or across behind Campbell when Campbell stepped out to deal with something. That speed he had to cover was sensational. And Loren, who's hugely underrated, hugely underrated, 7 out of 10 every week. You rarely saw him have a bad game. You rarely saw a left wing give him trouble. Giggs gave him some trouble, but Giggs did that to everybody. But Loren was really good. That Arsenal team was special. No matter what way you look at it, they were special. And when they went unbeaten that year, it was an amazing achievement. And it was an amazing thing to watch. Ferguson, of course, built multiple great United teams. The first team that won titles, and he evolved that team and won more titles. And then that treble-winning team, Schmeichel, Neville, Ronnie Janssen, Yapstam, unbelievable. Dennis Irwin, the best left back the Premier League has seen. Beckham, Scholes, Keane and Giggs. That's, that's the perfect midfield. Like, that's the perfect midfield. And then York and Cole up front. And then he had Solskjaer and Sheringham coming off the bench. He had Jesper Gronkar, who could play either wing as a backup. He had Nicky Butt to rotate in central midfield. Nicky Butt's often often overlooked from those United teams. But Nicky Butt was vital to United. And go and watch that Champions League final against Bayern Munich. Nicky Butt was phenomenally good in that game. He had the likes of David May and Henning Berg that he'd bring in. Could play a bit of right back, could play centre back. He had Phil Neville, who could cover at both fullback spots. Ferguson crafted squads better than nearly anybody ever, and he managed his squad better than anybody in the history of the game. Ferguson's man management is where his brilliance. He wasn't a great tactician, and he knew that, so he brought in other people to put things in place. He wasn't great on the training ground. He knew that. He brought in other people to take care of that. Brian Kidd, Steve McLaren, Carlos Kiros, René Muelenstein. What Ferguson was unbelievably good at was simplicity. Think about how United played. 4-4-2 until the later years when it became 4-3-3 because Cristiano wouldn't track back. But 4-4-2... And everything was simple. We de- we defend with five and we attack with five. So we've got a back four. Primarily, they're going to sit. Our full backs will push and the out balls and Irwin and Neville were capable of overlapping. But when they would overlap, the wingers would drop or one of the centre midfielders would drop. They would never overlap or be high up together. One would go, one would stay. If the normal set was wherever you went, they would defend the halfway line because they were just brave enough to do it at the time. You had Stam; he had that recovery pace. If Neville pushed on, Irwin would stay and Scholes would drop back in next to Keane. If Irwin went... Again, Scholes would drop back in, Neville would stay deeper, and Giggs would also help cover. So they'd never be overcommitted. But what Ferguson was also brilliant at was realising that United couldn't just have one way of playing. They had to be able to play their football in different ways. And I remember watching the overlap with Scholes and Neville they were talking about how United weren't a possession-based team. They weren't. There's this myth that United used to just go and and dominate. United would go and they would squeeze teams, and they would try and force mistakes. But United, against the very top teams, would bet in, defend the 18-yard box, and they would tear you apart on the counter. That... Beckham to Giggs cross field ball is one of the best weapons we've ever seen in the Premier League because that would turn defence into attack in an instant and they would have runners willing to get forward. Speaking of skulls briefly, can we stop with this narrative that he wasn't an incredible footballer? Can we stop with the narrative that Paul Scholes doesn't belong in conversations with Gerrard and Lampard? Because Paul Scholes was a better player than Frank Lampard. He just was. And as a central midfielder, Paul Scholes was better than Gerrard. Now, Gerrard was a better player than Scholes, but Scholes is a better central midfielder. Gerrard was never a particularly great central midfielder. That's why his managers insisted on playing him right wing or further forward didn't trust him defensively. Scholes wasn't good defensively, but he was much more intelligent. Gerrard was the better player. Scholes is the better centre midfielder. Scholes absolutely be- belongs in those conversations. Paul Scholes was incredible. Absolutely incredible. As a passer, as someone to dictate the tempo of a game, to control a game, Paul Scholes was just incredible. When United would go 1-0 up, Scholes would up the tempo and United would look to go for the jugular and get 2-0 up and look to take advantage of teams who were a little bit shook by conceding a goal. And you would see Scholes purposely target players who just made a mistake and try and get in their head by making them get involved again, and trying to force more mistakes out of them by playing certain passes. But his adaptability to play with different type of centre midfield partners, different types of wide players, different types of forward players, was just different class. Absolutely different class. So let's put some respect back on Paul Scholes' name. He is undeniably one of the best midfield players the game has seen. Not even up for debate. Back to these two, Ferguson and Wenger. Obviously, the building of the Emirates ended Wenger's time as an elite-level manager because the money was no longer there for him to compete. Ferguson, having had to watch Arsenal go unbeaten, then had to watch Mourinho arrive in the country, and win back-to-back league titles, must have thought that his reign of dominance was over. But rather than accept it, he fought back against it and he built a team that would win three Premier Leagues in a row and win a Champions League and get to another Champions League final. Now, that team, I don't think, was as good... Overall, as the first treble winners, the first European Cup team, Edwin van der Sar was a great goalkeeper, but he wasn't Schmeichel. Neville and Wes Brown were in a platoon situation at right back because Neville was starting to break down with injuries. Evra had come in at left back. Good, not Erwin. Vidic was excellent, but he wasn't Yapstam. And Rio Ferdinand is the most overrated centre-back in the history of the Premier League. He was good. He was never great. He was overrated because he was good on the ball. Defensively, he wasn't great. He was okay defensively. He was very good on the ball and he was very quick. And his pace got him out of a lot of trouble that he caused for himself. But that defence wasn't as good as the earlier defence. The midfield had an aging Skulls, an aging gigs, and Michael Carrick, who is also one of the more underrated players the Premier League has seen. Tremendous midfielder. Really good passer, super high IQ. Not a surprise that he's looking like he might become a successful manager. You also had Darren Fletcher, who played a lot of games in that midfield. Up front was where they were special. This team was special in the forward line. The early team, very, very good defence, really special midfield, very good attack. This team, good defence, good midfield, phenomenal attack. Absolutely phenomenal attack. So the... Starters, more often than not, Tevez, Rooney, Cristiano. And that, well, that's pretty special. That's pretty special. You also had Nani as an option to play either wing. So if Cristiano or Tevez needed to sit out, Nani could come in. But what really made them special was the presence. I, I missed I missed out Hargreaves and Anderson in midfield. So they had those two. And the Hargreaves was injured a lot, which is a shame because if he could have stayed fit, this team may never have stopped winning. Um, you had Dimitar Berbatov. And he made them really special. When he landed at the club, now he arrived, I think, the year after the travel, didn't he? I don't think he was there for the treble. He wasn't. He arrived the year after the travel. Uh, he still at Solskjaer. I think Solskjaer had come back to the club. Maybe he'd just been there all along. But the following year, when they won the league title, Berbatov had arrived. And this was where you, like, I think that 09 version of United that won the league, won the league cup, lost the Champions League final to Barca, and got to an FA Cup semi final. So, Came hella close to a quadruple. I think this team was even more special than the team that the year before that won the European Cup. Because you still have Van der Sar. Neville played a bit more. Neville didn't play at all the year before. So Neville and Brown were rotating at right back. You had Rio, you had Vidic, you had Evra. That's fine. Same group of midfielders. Park Ji-sung is now playing heavy minutes as well. But you add Berbatov, and you've got Tevez, Rooney, and Cristiano. You've got Nani and Berbatov. Like, that five is ridiculous. And the best three, the balance among the three, was best when it was Tevez, Berbatov, and Cristiano. And I do wonder if Ferguson at the time thought about moving Rooney back into midfield. as like an an attacking eight as we'd look at it now. Because when Berbatov played in that number nine role, because of how selfless he was and how creative he was, I think Cristiano and Tevez both were double level. Now, Rooney obviously was, Wayne Rooney was brilliant. But uh, for me, I, I think they were better with Berbatov in attack with the other two. Ferguson just built unbelievably good teams. But the other thing he was brilliant at was getting the most out of players that were never going to contribute a whole lot. Like, the 08-09 season, Makeda plays two games, scores two goals. Like, he got a ton out of Johnny Evans that year. He got the best out of players that maybe weren't good enough, and he would sell on then for bigger profits. But his ability to manage his squad and to be able to leave players out and know when a player needed a rest. Ferguson would plan the entire season during preseason, And he would be able to tell a player, if all goes to plan, these are the games you're going to play this season. This was in August he'd be telling them this. Now, sometimes things would change with injuries and form and whatever else. But in August, he had pretty much his season planned. We're going to play this team here, this team there. In November, on the wet pitch, this is the team that's going to go to Stoke or whatever the case may be. His ability to plan and leave nothing to chance was just different class. Of course, he made mistakes. Of course, there's players that you'd look at and say he should have got more to him. Phil Jones is one, I think, that Ferguson set on the wrong path by using him in too much of a utility role. Of course, there was poor transfers like Verón. But the, the guy was just incredible. He was just incredible. 13 league titles. And Wenger, the changes he made to English football were just historic. Uh, right, let's continue to move forward. Uh, Man City versus Liverpool. Pick your combined eleven. Actually, I'll do this quickly. Goalkeepers, Allison. Right back is Trent. Uh, left back on f- on form. Trent doesn't get in either. But Nathan Aki's been really good this season. But Andy Roberts is still a better player. Virgil is the best centre back between the two clubs. And to be honest, I think Ibu Kanate is a better defender than Ruben-, Ruben Diaz. Now, this is my bias coming out. Holding midfield, though, is undeniably Rodri, so he's in. Um, Kevin De Bruyne is in. Now, I would take Thiago over Ilkay Gundogan, so I'm going to do that. Uh, in attack, Salah is the right winger. Haaland is the nine. Obviously, and Phil Foden at left back at left wing. Why can't I see his net? Why is Phil Foden not an option? I know he's out at the moment, but so is Thiago. So Phil Foden's not an option. So we'll throw Bernardo Silva there. Uh, that's seven to four Liverpool. I'm just going to go with it. I don't care. Uh, Harry Kane. Scoring 100 goals for England will be tough, but is possible. You better do a whole lot more stat padding. I'm still young. I'm 29. I'm still fit and strong. Tell your ankles that, son. Now, obviously England play Malta and North Macedonia next. They should win. He should score a couple. He needs 45 goals to get to 100. I don't see it. I don't see it. I think 75. I think 75 is about where he gets. But then, there are a lot of bad teams in the qualifiers. And if he just stat pads his way through qualifiers the way Cristiano does, then maybe, maybe he gets to 85. I don't think he gets to 100 though. I don't think he gets to 100 because I don't think he'll play long enough for England to get to 100. Now, maybe he'll just hang around. Maybe he has ideas of hanging around, but I don't think his body will age all that well. I don't see Harry Kane playing top level football at 36. And he turns 30 this summer. Um, American businessman, Kevin M. Nagel has been confirmed as the new owner of Huddersfield. He owns Sacramento Republic. And he has agreed to buy the club from Dean Hoyle. Okay, fair play. Young um, Sun has come out and said he is really sorry to see Antonio Conte go and feels responsible because of the poor season that he's had. It is really good to see a player own up that way. As a player, I'm really sorry. He's a world-class coach. We had a great journey together. I should have played better. I feel responsible for his departure because I haven't helped the club all that much. To hear one of the best players in the league come out with that is really refreshing because mostly they pass the book. I haven't heard any Liverpool player take that type of responsibility for their crap form this season. Uh, Hervé Renard has re- resigned as the Saudi Arabia coach so he can take over the France women's team ahead of this year's World Club Cup. Oh, sorry, World Cup little bit surprising. He was doing great work with Saudi. But he has obviously made his decision and fair play. Ansu Fadi's father wants his son to leave Barcelona because of a lack of minutes. Uh, Fadi has started just nine league games for Barca this season, which has led to his dad stating his frustrations. Ansu Fati is seriously talented. That knee injury he had because Barca overplayed him as a kid might well have completely altered his career. Tony Adams has warned that Arsenal need to keep six key stars fit if they are to win the Premier League as the backup players are average. Interesting. Um, He's not wrong. So Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard, Partey, Jesus and Zinchenko. Well, let's be honest now. Kieran Tierney's not bang average. He's a good left-back. Trossard has been really good since signing. So, you know, Gabriel, Jesus and Martinelli, they have a bit of backup there for him. I do fully agree on Saka and Odegaard and Partey. But I think the other three, if they miss a few games, they can cope. I mean, look, they've coped without Jesus for three months. Or, yeah, three months. Um, Chelsea face... Premier League battle over possible financial breach. Unsurprisingly to anybody, Chelsea are a mess financially. And uh, the recent accounts came out, they weren't good. and uh, They weren't good at all. And that sets them back because they've lost so much money over the last couple of years. And now they're going to have to pay the piper. They're going to have to have a fire sale this summer, no matter what. So some surprising names are going to leave, in my view. Uh, Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp is interested in Marcelo Brozovic. The Inter Milan midfielder could be a dream alternative to Jude Bellingham. What a load of unadulterated garbage. Firstly, he's 30. Liverpool aren't spending big money to get a 30-year-old midfielder. Secondly, he's a completely different type of player to Jude Bellingham, so that is tripe. Uh, why Juventus and Partici hope penalties overturned for sorry, penalties overturned as date for appeal hearing set. Uh, the appeal will be heard on April nineteenth. Juventus were deducted fifteen points. Which was the correct decision, and Paratici got his thirty-month ban. Others are facing bans as well, I believe, but he obviously is the uh, kind of the main. Well, Agnali he got the big ban as well, uh, but those two were the the main um, miscreants in this scenario. Tottenham joined Arsenal in the race to sign Rasmus Heusland. Uh, this is likely not to be true. He is outstandingly talented. He is so quick, so powerful, really good instincts in the box. Let the lad develop before anybody spends a lot of money on him and puts too much pressure on him and messes with his development. European European giants eyeing move for Chelsea star. Uh, this is according to the Times. Bayern Munich want to sign Mason Mend. This is. This is what happens when journalists have to fill column inches. You get garbage like this. Um, so the piece is tagged as an exclusive. Um, written by Tom Roddy. Who I don't know. But he says exclusive Bayern Munich want to sign Mason Mount. Here's the thing. Number one, Bayern don't need a number 10. They have a multitude of options they can use in that role. Number two, this piece uses Thomas Tuchel's appointment as Bayern manager as the logic behind this supposed interest. Managers have no say in transfers at Bayern. None. So it's unlikely that any of that is in any way true. Lucas Fabianski is set to make a return from injury. Um, Ariola needs to stay in goal because he's better than Fabianski, and Fabianski is a big reason for their poor season. So it makes no sense to bring him back in. But saying that Moyes will probably bring him back in. Arsenal are apparently eyeing a summer move for Jesper Lindstrom of Eintracht Frankfurt, very talented player. Um, A weird fit for Arsenal, though. We'll do the gossip and we'll be done. Manchester United are preparing an £80 million bid for Harry Kane. Richard Arnold has sanctioned a a potential deal, apparently. Don't think that money gets him. Manchester United have taken no major... Oh, he's only got a year left in his deal. Maybe, maybe. I, I think Kane will stay where he is. Uh, Manchester United taking no major steps forward in agreeing a new contract for Marcus Rashford. Um, When is his deal up? Marcus Rashford, contract till 2024. And that includes, doesn't it? That includes the option. That's with the extension that they put on. So he's got a year left after this one. I I assume Rashford will stay, but if I was him, I'd be making them sweat and, and holding out. Uh, Chelsea are yet to open contract talks with Mateo Kovacic. Manchester City apparently interested. Liverpool are more than willing are, sorry are willing to pay more than sixty million for Kim Min Jae. No, they're not, and they wouldn't have to because he has a buyout clause. Liverpool are also in the fight to sign Evan and Dicker. who will be available on a free. Uh, this comes from David Maddock, who's never right about anything, and I I, I hope he's not right here. Um, Man City are still waiting on decisions from Ilkay Gundogan. Barcelona are keen to, keen to sign him. If Gundogan does go, City are considering Jude Bellingham and Florian Verts as potential replacements. Uh, this is Peter Rourke, spoofer. City have joined... United and Newcastle in monitoring Celta Vigo's 20-year-old Spanish midfielder Gabriel Viega. He could make some sense there. Clubs interested in Roberto de Zerbi would have to pay a fixed amount to Brighton for the Italian manager. And any deal could only be done in the summer, not during the season. He doesn't have a buyout clause. So Romano is, as usual, as is usual Romano, he's lying. Simple as that. He's lying because he's a spoofer. Does Erby wants more control and a greater input in Brighton's transfer plans? I don't think Brighton will budge, and I wouldn't be overly sure that Tom Colomus for the Daily Mail, Tom Colomus, really. I I don't think he's one that will will take any any heed from. He knew what he was signing up for when he took the job. Chelsea are set to make it, make Ruben Loftus-Cheek available for transfer. I mean, what do they get from 10, maybe 15 million? Won't be much. Barcelona are interested in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang on loan. Former Spain defender Hector Bellerin is in talks over return to Real Betis. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the right move for him. He's currently on loan at Sporting. I don't don't think they'll keep him. Um, Is he on loan or is he permanent? No, he is on loan. Yeah, he is on loan. I don't think they'll keep him. So I bet this makes sense for everybody. Former Spain defender. How many caps he got? Four. Okay. A number of Premier League clubs, including Leicester, Fulham and Wolves, are monitoring Enzo Lafayette. He'd be a good signing for a lot of them. Spurs have come to a pre-contract agreement to sign 16-year-old English forward Herbie James from Man City's academy. Good to see teams pilfering City's academy as opposed to how it's been the last few years. Chelsea are set for a battle with the Premier League over a potential breach of spending rules with the club ready to cite Antonio Rudiger's departure for Real Madrid on a free transfer as one justification for their huge losses. They're trying to claim that because they couldn't do anything under Roman for the last couple of months, they lost him for free. Let's be fair. You were always losing him because you—you you, no sensible club was going to pay him 350 grand a week. And that includes you. So nonsense. Manager David Moyes and his West Ham coaches fear that they will be sacked if the Hammers lose to relegation rival Southampton on Sunday. They should be sacked. They should have been sacked a while ago, but somehow he remains in a job. Uh, Man City City have no plans to sell Calvin Ramsey this summer, despite the 27-year-old making only limited appearances. He's been injured a lot, so I assume that's part of it. Um, However, Phillips is prepared to leave. This is a battle of the spoofers. So it's Football Insider and Peter Rourke saying he does not want to leave. And Jamie Spencer and Graham Bailey for 90minute.com saying he does. So spoofers all round. Paris Saint-Germain and Argentina forward Lionel Messi could move to MLS this summer. With each of the 29 clubs that he contributing to his salary. They'll this will this would be Beckham two I've said this before. I think this is where he ends up. I, he may go back to Barca for a year, but I do think he goes to MLS. I think they give him a, a sweetheart Beckham deal where he gets a franchise guaranteed to him for much much less than others would have to pay. Now, where that franchise would be, I, I really don't know. Um. Obviously, MLS has expanded at a at a decent rate. At a decent rate. And you have new teams in the last kind of six years in Atlanta, in Charlotte, in Cincinnati, in Miami, that's Beckham's, in Nashville, uh, in Austin, which I think would have been interesting to, Christy, uh, to, to Messi. Minnesota, the second team in L.A., St. Louis. So I'm not sure where... I'm not sure where Messi would get a team. You look at kind of the big cities. Uh, That's little. New York has two. LA has two. I don't know if Chicago could support a second a second football team. They've already got the Bears, the Blackhawks, the Bulls, two baseball teams. I don't know. Uh, Houston has a team. Phoenix. Phoenix. Am I right in thinking there's no team in Phoenix? They'd be in the Western Conference. There's no team in Phoenix. There's no team in Arizona. So Phoenix would be one. Philly have a team. Don't think there's the desire for it in San Antonio. And you already have three teams in Texas. San Diego, maybe. They've only got the Padres there because the Chargers went to LA. So San Diego could be of interest. Dallas have a team. San Jose have a team. Austin has a team. Jacksonville a second, a third team as it would be in Florida, maybe. There won't be one in Fort Worth because it's too close to Dallas. Part of, well, Dallas-Fort Worth is a one metropolitan area. Uh, Columbus have a team, so it won't be there. No one wants to go to Indianapolis, although, you know, shout out Johnny Moore. Um, Maybe, maybe in Indianapolis. Charlotte have a team. Denver? San Francisco, probably too close to San Jose. Seattle have a team. Denver stands out as a possible. But I do think the ones that make the most... Phoenix is the one that makes the most sense. Phoenix is the mo- not one that makes the most sense. The fifth biggest city in America don't have a football team. They've got an American football team. Although they're the Arizona Cardinals and not the Phoenix Cardinals. Um... They do have all four of the other major sports. They've got the Suns. They've got the Cardinals. They've got the Diamondbacks. And they've got the Coyotes. Um, Now the Coyotes are moving to Tempe, aren't they? They do have... They do have a team in the in the USL, the Phoenix Rising FC. I do wonder if maybe maybe that team can be bumped up. They've also got a WNBA team. Phoenix makes sense. San Diego is the other city that makes sense to me anyway. So maybe that's what they do with Messi. They promise them a team... In one or the other. Um, San Diego is probably preferable because you've got less competition. Now, it is obviously a smaller city than Phoenix, but not by a huge amount. Only about 300,000. 1. 1.6, 1. 6, nearly 1.7 million to just under 1.4 million. They've got the Padres, but that's kind of it. Bunch of other sports like women's soccer, lacrosse, rugby, indoor soccer, uh, tennis, tennis league. Okay. World team tennis. Um, Some sort of disc. Is that that? Frisbee, the, the disc golf thing. That looks quite fun, actually. Um, they've got an Aussie rules team. There's an Aussie rules competition in America? I genuinely had no idea. That is news to me. Uh, they've got minor league ice hockey. They've got the San Diego Loyal who also play in the US, US USL. Um, so maybe them. Maybe them. San Diego might make more sense. There's there's probably more of the market to be cornered. And it's close to LA. Now, Phoenix is close enough to LA as well, but still. Um, Yeah, that's where we're going to place Messi. A year at Barca. Give up this PSG nonsense. Go to Barca for a year and then get yourself to MLS. Napoli value Victor Osserman at €150 million and probably a bit more. Tottenham made contact with Julian Nagelsmann. At the weekend, with the club wanting to talk to candidates to replace Antonio Conte, I, I think he would be really good. I do. Um, Bayern Munich squad is split into two factions over the decision to sack Nagelsmann. Meh. Antonio Conte plans to recharge his batteries before returning to management. Inter Milan, AC Milan, Juventus and Roma are all keeping him in mind. Roma, I assume they're looking at Mourinho might leave because they won't sack him. Milan would complete the the travel for him because he's obviously managed Juve and Inter. Um, Milan could be interesting. They've had a bad season. They've got a lot of good players. You could see the bones of a of a Conte team there. Yeah, Milan might make a lot of sense for him. Uh, lead striker Rodrigo will likely have to take a pay cut if he's signing a new contract at the club so he won't be Signing new contract at the club, then, uh, but Kyle Saka will earn close to 15 million a season when he finally signs his new deal at Arsenal. I believe that includes like all add-ons and everything possible. But you know, good for him. Good for him. Liverpool have yet to open contract talks with James Milner, and hopefully they won't. Tottenham are among a number of Premier League clubs interested in Evan Ferguson. and I think they're all wasting their time at the moment. Borussia Dortmund want to sign 19-year-old Northern Ireland midfielder Shay Charles from Man City. He's talented; needs to go and play somewhere. Barcelona will have to sign at least three to four players on a free transfer on free transfers this summer, as they work within a tight salary budget. Well, unless they're free in terms of wages as well, they can't really sign anybody. Chelsea fans face having to raise substantial amounts of money by selling off players this summer in order to avoid breaching the Premier League's financial fair play rules next season. uh, Yeah, they're going to have to sell a a whole bunch of players. A whole bunch of them. Loads and loads of them. It's going to be great fun. Right, folks, that's me for today. Went longer than I expected. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.